Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Michelle McLeod, an actor you might know from her breakout performance in Pat Mills' Don't Talk to Irene a few years back. Since then, she's appeared in Honeybee and My Spy and a recent episode of Working Moms, and of course she's part of the phenomenal ensemble of Sarah Polly's Women Talking, which arrives on Blu-ray and DVD today in advance of Sunday night's Academy Awards ceremony, where it's nominated for Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay. Michelle picked Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the 1968 musical comedy adventure based on the children's book by Ian Fleming and adapted for the screen by Roald Dahl, among others, which stars Dick Van Dyke as eccentric inventor Caractacus Potts whose attempt to rebuild a destroyed Grand Prix racer for his young children sets off a chain of events involving international espionage, multiple abductions, bizarre villains, some light romance, and a lot of singing and dancing. It's one of the weirder flights of fancy that came out of England in the 1960s, and that's really saying something. But it's part of the fun, too. This is someone else's movie. When I watch it, I just am filled with like so much love. I feel like every scene and every character is driven by love in that movie. Like It's so fun. Like when I think of old Hollywood or what inspired me to be an actor, it was trying to be like looking at these types of movies and like Dick Van Dyke doing his dancing and his thing and being a a silly character and outside his zone. And it just looked like fun, fun, fun. And that's what this movie like represents. Each little musical number, each scene, each transition. It's just like this fantastical story. It's, it's wonderful. It's, and, yeah, it just brings me right back to the very first moment that I realized I wanted to be an actor. And how old were you? Because obviously you didn't catch this in first run. I didn't even get to see it in first run. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> when did you discover it? I want to say like as early as like maybe seven or eight. Um, I was the type of person who would watch movies over and over and over until I memorized everything. So even all of like, um, for example, when in the beginning of the movie – Dick Van Dyke's character is singing to his kids and he has like these really funny dance moves and it's very sweet and loving. Uh, And they all have little British accents. I would mimic everything. (laughs) So it was kind of my way to escape was seven, eight or nine. And that's when I realized I really wanted to do this and pursue it. And then I started to try to figure out how to get into theater and, and actually get up on that stage and see if I could actually bring to life the characters I was mimicking. You know, Kenneth Branagh tells the same story in Belfast, right? Like, that's his origin story. Oh! Yeah. So his child avatar, the buddy, goes to see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with his family. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that moment. Oh, my God. Such a good movie. And the funny thing was, I saw it at a press screening, and on the way out, a couple of the younger critics were like, what is that? What was that movie that they saw? And I realized there is a gap. Like, there's there are people who have never seen it at all. Uh, or maybe think it's Mary Poppins, right? Because of the because of the Victorian aspect of it, or the Edwardian, whenever it's set, and and Dick Van Dyke dancing, and you just don't quite see it as a as a different entity when you're growing up. But then the other thing that I found out while researching for this was that Julie Andrews was going to play Truly Scrumptious, or she was offered the part, and she passed because it was too close to Mary Poppins, and oh, she no just. Way. I didn't know the story behind Chitty Chitty Bang Bang's production is, I mean, it's a, you know based on a novel by Ian Fleming and Albert Broccoli, who produced the Bond movies, didn't think it was going to be a decent movie until Mary Poppins hit. And then it's like, oh, I want one of those. So he optioned it and bought the rights eventually and wanted the wanted it to be a reunion for, uh, for Andrews and, and Van Dyke. And oh, no. yeah, so- and she just sort of backed away. 
uh, when she when she read the script. And then you go forward a little bit further in time, and you realize it was also the screenplay was adapted by Roald Dahl, who is, you know, a beloved like, children's author who's also a complete monster. <laughs> exactly. But only he could create the child catcher or give him the like realize him the way that he did and that he was in the film the, like this thing this movie is a beloved children's film but it's also really weird and it was kind of fun to rediscover that as an adult and just see how strange this film is yeah i and i kind of like the strangeness of it all like the characters like the child catcher like dick van dyke's characters even truly scrumptious and everything like they really have to transform and become these these fantastical uh, characters like it's it that to me is theater that is film that is fun it's like taking a little part of yourself and even when like um uh dick van dyke's character is being like snooty and kind of standoffish and more of the protective dad and kind of stuck in his ways at the beginning of the film it's still like i don't know that you can just see his purpose so so like stonely set do you know what i mean mm -hmm. and you can see the change but it's still very um kind of not dramatic is the word i want to say but um uh, maybe a little more slapstick comedy yeah and yeah. that's what the old-timey movies were all about that's what people went to go see like if you think about the old kind of st timey stuff like like three stooges and all of the the extravaganza comedy shows and things like that the silly dancing, like they were triple threats. And I, and I thought growing up, that's what I had to be like an actor, a singer and a dancer. And you watch these people do these things. And you're like, wow, that is so much work. I feel like those, those actors worked so much harder than us actors do these days. Cause they, they did it all. Everything. I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, take anything away from contemporary performers. Cause what oh, you're no. what you're doing is different but yeah i mean dick van dyke was basically the comic version of burt lancaster like they're both acrobats effectively they could do pretty much anything except an accent and um <laughs> so true and he's beloved in england despite that which I, I find absolutely fascinating like everybody has fond memories of mary poppins and of chitty chitty bang bang too because it was only i think three years later that 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 came out and so if you were aging out of Disney as a child, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was just dark enough to still pull you in. Um, and it's exactly what you said. There, There is a straight line in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, not back to movies, I don't think, but to the music hall, to the, sort of the broad panto thing that's such a, a component of, of English family childhood and impenetrable to anybody outside of it, um, which was, I mean, I think I was about... 10 or 11 when I first saw it, it would have been at the Willow Theater. I know that um, in Toronto, which is this great second run house that had matinees for kids. Uh, it's where I saw all the, the old Disney classics when they came back and somehow that got stuck in there too. So oh, that's awesome. I, I thought it was going to be a cartoon about a, a flying car and it is very real. Well, I, I guess it comes back to the Albert Broccoli of it all, right? He had the Bond team make this movie. So Ken Adam, who designed all these amazing villains layers for the Bond films, builds this world of, of Vulgaria and the and the Baron's castle and, and oh, yeah, I love that. So preposterous 
but he leans into the excess of it in a way that even the Bond films didn't, because everything was sort of minimalist, despite being so big. It was always like shiny and clean. And this movie is just messy in such a like. There's food everywhere. People have filthy hands and feet. Like they're just like they're practically covered in in coal from the industrial age. And it's it's somehow cohesive in a friendly way. It's this and Willy Wonka. Those are the two films to my mind that just, and they're both from Roald Dahl on some level, where they're just films about children blundering into big, complicated worlds that they don't fully understand. <laughs> yeah. And then you step back as a grown up and watch them again. It's like, oh, no, the grown ups don't understand them either. It's just everybody's just trying to do the one thing they want to do with all this chaos going around them. And then suddenly they all make sense. It's like a pinball machine. That's why I kind of love the chaos of it all. Like, there's so much happening in this movie and they all play so many different moments i mean like they're going from the farm to the the sweet factory to bulgaria you know to uh being stuck in, in the caves you know what i mean like there's just this giant flow and so many different scenes and so many different things happening it's like watching these characters navigate that and then come out of that and and seeing kind of how that how that changed everybody that is what's exciting because you're like like as a kid there's nothing better than to watch something that catches your attention again and again and again and again it's like a whole bunch of different movies kind of smushed into one to make one big story and i think that's why they needed two acts (laughs) and why it's just so fun like I, i i kind of focus more on like what it would be like from the actor's experience and i just think making that movie would have been so cool, like so much fun, like all the like the machinery that's going on, the set design, the costuming, the singing, the dancing, the silliness, the panto, which you were kind of talking about. Like, it's literally a theater in film medium, but like so much bigger than that, in my in my opinion. And that's uh, it's it's so dreamy. There's this little window in cinema, 60s and 70s, I guess, right? Like where you could fake some of it, you could create, and matte paintings made worlds bigger, but you had to build everything. You you had to, I, I just watched um, a Sammo Hung film from 1986, Millionaire's Express, uh, which is one of those, it's one of the Lunar New Year extravaganzas where there are stunts and comedy and misunderstandings and people climbing in and out of windows and these big, big action sequences. And oh you look God. at Chitty Bang Bang and about 75 things like that are happening in, in the corners of the frame. You don't even notice them until your fifth viewing. Exactly. There's so much going on. Even if you watch the extras, the people who are not the main characters in that film, they're all so freaking talented. And it's just like, if anywhere you look, you're going to catch something that is going to be entertaining and fantastical. It's just... That's why it's so fun. Uh, so is it like a trusted companion? You come, you pull it out and watch it whenever you need it? Or do you have yeah. like a structure to revisit it? There's no really structure. Um, it's funny. Uh, I was thinking about what would be my favorite movie to, to come on this podcast with. And I was thinking more like more contemporary stuff. Like I really like Bridesmaids for the reason that it was the first time I saw women behaving uh, just as badly as I feel like I do sometimes. And so I, I felt, Oh, I'm being represented on screen. Like (laughs) this means like I don't have to be prim and proper. These are, these are women being hilarious. And then I thought, Oh, I, I might go to something a little more um, 
uh, traditional and do something like an American Paris that, again, brings me back to my musical roots where I just fell in love with the idea of singing and dancing and being on screen and having these romance moments and these big dreamlike sequences. And then I, instead of watching either of those films, I'm like, you know what? I need to clear my head. I'm putting on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I put it on. I was just chilling with my dog. And then that's what I texted. I was like, this, this is the movie. All right. If this is the movie I'm putting on when I'm chilling at home on a weekend, then this has to be my favorite movie. And I hadn't watched it in a few years. And watching it again, it just kind of, it brought all those feelings back as to why I would memorize it, why I felt so compelled to want to jump through the screen and be a part of it, because I just felt so inviting. And there's just so much going on, like, like even the, the child catcher, what a fun role to play. Like the, the dancing, the movements, um, the voices, the facial expressions, those are all things that I think I first took and put on my tool belt as a way to become a character. I love it. I probably want to play him more than anything. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, they're, they're, they're constantly remaking everything and all the IP is, is in play. And I guess now, I guess MGM owns this, which means that now it's with Disney. Because um, Fox bought the MGM catalog and Disney bought Fox. So... All right, let's assume there's an eight-part Hulu miniseries of this, an adaptation, <laughs> all singing, all dancing with extra stuff. Um, the Sherman Brothers wrote the original song, so I guess now it would be Lin-Manuel Miranda and his team. <laughs> would you want to play the child catcher or would you want to go for a different oh role? God, I would probably, yeah. If I had to play a role, I think I would be best at playing like, I mean, I wish I could play the grandpa, but I know I don't might not fall into that <laughs> To that category a little bit because he's just so funny uh but i think the child catcher would be so fun to play kind of like there's so much to play there with physicality and your voice and the jumping around and you could totally take that and recreate it and still make it just as scary because it is scary that's the stuff that brought nightmares to children it's like thinking that someone's going to come and get you while you're asleep in your bed that is terrifying and i remember being afraid of that child catcher like in his little wagon and then also who was always afraid I, I couldn't even watch it until i was like 25 again was hocus pocus because i always heard i had this big window growing up right in front of my bed i i just envisioned the three witches coming up to me and singing that like little children's song and right. so i had to like black out my windows because i was like i cannot i cannot be fooled by them i will not go with them and so i was like these children's movies actually scared the crap out of me but now i think that would be the most fun thing to do and it's versatile it doesn't have to be a man it could be a woman it could be anything and it would be still you know just as effective yeah i mean just a mean person or someone who yeah. it's not even it's not even mean it's the joy he takes in it right like it's the it's yeah. the pleasure he's his own entity like i don't even think he's like he's his own thing going on but um that would be a blast to play that would give you a lot of freedom to be you know something completely different yeah and now of course talking about this i realize lin-manuel Miranda would probably want to play the dick van dyke role so because he did it in mary poppins returns so we're we're wishing we're we're accidentally creating this thing i think we're willing it into existence <laughs> exactly we're gonna have an, another uh uh, uh reunion and emily blunt is gonna come in and she's gonna play truly scrumptious she can do anything <laughs> she probably could Again, this is one of the things where she's just the right age to have loved it as a child without understanding it and then rediscovered it. Like, I mean, generationally, this thing comes in waves. Uh, oh, yeah. It's all based on what's available at the time. 
and and what people see and what they're I guess the phrase is exposed to because it is something that like hocus pocus it warms its way in but then people are always disappointed by the next thing the next iteration of it because that's all we ever do now is just regurgitate um, IP but at the same time I get it right like the challenge isn't to make it it's the challenge is the appeal to the performance the people who want to be playing around in this world like you were saying yeah, that's an interesting way to think of things because I've always seen remakes sometimes as a little upsetting, I guess, because I'm I, I grew up in such an old school way. Like my parents are a little bit older, so I was exposed to more of the uh, older movies, like 40s, 50s, 60s, before I branched off and saw some of the more contemporary things. So that is like what's in my heart. Even like the Willy Wonka, um, like that was the fan favorite, obviously the classic one um, with Gene Wilder. Like, who's amazing. Um, and when it was remade, I enjoyed it as well, but it still didn't catch me just as much as it did as a child, probably because I had grown some sort of like emotional attachment to seeing the original. Sure. And so when you see it as a remake, you just, you can't kind of regrow that connection. Um, so I'm kind of stuck in limbo because I am very, very much in love with and keeping things classical, but you make a good point that it has to also change with the times and change with the audiences that are seeing it. But it's about the story. It's about actually seeing these characters and the story being made. And that comment, I think, might allow me to look at these remakes a little bit differently because I've always been a little, you know, snooty about it. Oh, no, be snooty. I mean, like, <laughs> absolutely. Most of them are unnecessary. I mean, I know people who've remade things and they're not even always happy about the idea. It's it's the It's the process of finding the thing that makes it work for you, which isn't always the same thing as finding something that makes it work for the audience, right? Like you've seen, we've seen so many prequels in the last 10 years where people have rationalized themselves into, well, this is the thing that animates the story. And this is why people need to know the true story of how this guy got his hat. And <laughs> you don't, first of all, it's a hat. It's just there. So funny. Just tell a story about them now. It's okay to recast if you have to, but just yeah. move forward. Yes, I feel that. I think there's a lot going on, especially with with all of the remakes or those stories that we're telling that are just those missing points from classics from before. Mm. I think that's trying to hit a generation like from like my own point of view that is stuck in that time frame and is only very much attracted to the things we grew up in, like, you know, the Jurassic Parks and 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 like, for example, the, the Christmas story that just came out. They did the, the new version of that. That was such a, a throwback to the first one so we can see where they are now because that one is so beloved it's like now that not only are they making content for like the new generation they're pulling back the people who have seen all these classics and are so kind of emotionally attached to them and trying to give them back that same feeling so i feel like that's why they're remaking it and we flood to watch it like you best believe i'm going to go watch anything that is a remake of anything because i want to make sure you know i want to see what they've done with it have they continued it? What's the story going to be like? But it also opens up for like a lot of harsh criticism <laughs> because you're touching something. So like, as I said, like beloved to someone's life, but it does have a bit of an appeal because there's that curiosity being like, Oh, I wonder what happened to that character. I wonder sure. what happened to them. So they're pulling a lot of things back, but it would be cool to see like, and I have been seeing it a little bit more like uh La La Land was on my list of, of movies as well, because that is a contemporary film that brought me back to the feeling that I had watching these older movies. And I can tell you right now, 
I, I don't watch as many movies as I did on repeat, but that one I watched over and over and over again because it just what well one it spoke to my my own life experience but two it was back to that back and forth the singing song the romance the being in the dream state like there's just something about those those uh fantasies those dream worlds that are for me like super compelling like outside the ordinary something that you don't get to experience every day that to me is like the really fun part of all that stuff. Yeah. And throwing a flying car and you're golden. A flying car that has feelings and emotions and just wants to be loved. Oh my God. I forgot about that whole thing in the beginning when it was just like, it's literally the whole opening set of this film is That's talking right. about what happened to this car and how it was left there and, and no longer loved. And all of a sudden the children tell their dad that it's their car and they need to take care of it. It becomes, that's what brings it alive. And that's why I said like this movie is just full of, of love. There's love for that car. There's love in their family. There's love between the two main. There's love between uh, her family. Like eventually they come around to toot sweet. Um, there's with the grandpa, you know, and even the people uh, in Bulgaria, like they are just fueled by, by love. And I and and that's the, it starts with it and it kind of ends with that and I kind of think that's so cool that that's they featured the car prior to featuring any character because literally that's what drives the story. <laughs> no, that's a perfect. That is an absolutely valid and perfect. That you you earned it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Norm interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on Shiny Things, my twice-weekly newsletter about physical media, culture, and the odd streaming project. Last week, I wrote about Warner's new 4K release of Training Day, Universal's Violent Night, and Shout Factory's glorious new 4K editions of The Box Trolls and Kubo and the Two Strings. I cast a wide net. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Semcast Twitter account. It's a compulsion, and you can enable me. Come check it out. And that was another thing that I did not get until much, much later is the way that that shitty the car is aligned with dogs, like throughout, like the way that the candy only summons dogs. It doesn't work for people. But then in the end, it's it's the car that leads them to the final reinvention of the candy that lets them turn them into dog sweets. But also, of course, that the, the car is the car is a dog. The car is a Labrador retriever, just sort of helping everybody along the way. And, and how weird it is that. I mean, they've built a world where that can happen. Obviously, it's a fantasy. It's a musical. People person song and dance. Of course, a car can have feelings. But, <laughs> but as you said, like the emotional investment that we are offered, like our buy-in is to feel sad for the car, not the family. Yes, exactly. That's the, that's how the whole thing takes off. Like, yeah. like it shivers, and and some and they they mention it. It's like, well, did that car just do something? And the kids are, you know, kids are always on. They know what's going on all the time when it comes to this kind of thing. So obviously they're right. But it it was just, I, I mean, just like you, I didn't realize the significance until I watched it um, at a later age. Mm -hmm. I, I used to always skip that car stuff at the beginning. I was like, get to the good stuff. But, you know, watching it now, I realized this is to show a journey. Like, this is to show what's happened when you're beloved and all of a sudden easily forgotten and how much 
um, value you can take as soon as someone just gives you a little bit of tender, loving care. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and that's translated between anything. Um, but it's just cool that they start off with a, with a car and then it just shoots them into this adventure land. Yeah. It's a, it's a gateway drug in itself, right? <laughs> like the car is, the car isn't them buying into the fantasy. The, the car is deciding they're worthy of the adventure. Yes, exactly. That's a great way to put it. It's their reward, even though it's a terrifying adventure. <laughs> yeah, literally. And there's that compact with the audience where, you know, everything's going to be fine. We we know from the music that the, the, you're never, there's never any real peril that can't be recovered from. Even the car is going to survive. Yeah. But I think there's something about watching uh, as you said, like a, a nuts and bolts version of the story with no digital effects, with no, with all the fantastical stuff is is happening in the frame, and that the buy-in is different because I'm watching I'm watching Dick Van Dyke dance on the edge of things, and we're like, oh, he's going to fall off. <laughs> I'm actually concerned for his safety because they didn't have the money to paint out the wires that would have been holding him up, so he's just doing this stuff. Yeah, he's just that's I love that part too. Like. If you watch how they film some of these big numbers and everyone that's involved, like oh, yeah. so many people all like in sync. Like I, I remember just recently when I watched it, the 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 old bamboo song and even the Toot Sweet song, the coordination. Like I've heard stories about when they were doing La La Land and the coordination that and the amount of takes they had to go through on that highway in the opening scene. Sure. Because they just needed it perfect because it was a single camera move through. Like that takes a lot of precision and time and, and, and coordination. And to think back, you know, I guess, what is this, like 50 plus years ago, being able to do that with their crew and the technology that they had and also capturing all these angles and timing it perfectly, that is a feat in itself. And like, kudos to them for being able to do that. I, I mean, having experience on camera and seeing how things are moving behind me, I I just kind of now reflect on the amount of work that had taken from not only the actors, but the crew mm-hmm. to capture this moment in these big sound stages. Like, oh, the movie magic stuff sometimes really jazzes me up. <laughs> yeah. So cool. I'm just amazed people don't get electrocuted on these things. Like just... <laughs> The few times I've been on film sets, the to see all the cables and all the plugs and the generators, it's like it's dangerous, but it's people manage to make it work. It's really neat. That's one of my favorite things about uh, movies as well. Is uh, and even movies I've been in is, is I see the film and then I already know what's around, which nobody else is seeing, and I'm like, if only they could see what's making what they see. Right. It's just that's oh, that's so cool. I love that stuff. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I suppose if you're going to make a movie like this, having the people who make James Bond movies on the regular is probably safety in itself. Yeah. They probably have some experience, especially if, if you know, they're they're walking, uh, doing stunts and, and dancing all over the place. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this one is between, what was it? I think You Only Live Twice and Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which at the time in 69 was the most ambitious, the biggest Bond film. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's the George Lazenby one. Nobody remembers it because he was in it, but it's a great movie. He's maybe a weak Bond, but it's a terrific picture. Yeah, Telly Savalas is the bad guy. It's a lot of fun. And um, and these are the same practical effects guys building, you know, I, I suppose they'd already done the Aston Martin Chitty Chitty Bang Bang had to be easier. They're not refitting an existing vehicle. They're just doing whatever they want with a jalopy. Yeah. 
it's ins- yeah, it's insane. The amount of work that goes into these things is just incredible. And you're right. It would be, I mean, I didn't really know about that James Bond stuff uh, prior. Mm-hmm. So um, I have to see that movie if you're saying that it's kind of like the best of its time. It's I would have never good. even known about it. Yeah. It's the one where Bond falls in love. Um, For the like, first time? Properly. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Because Casino okay. Royale tries to... <laughs> to riff on it, but it's the one where he actually has a relationship rather than just a, a, a movie long affair. Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a good one. You should see. Um, and I feel like I'm just giving short shrift because we're t- I'm talking so much about the car because it's such a charming, I mean, it is the title character. I mean, it is, yeah, it's the title character. That's right. <laughs> uh, the titular role, but the, um, the fun of it is in watching everybody relate to it. And that's another thing that's always so touchy in these movies where sometimes you get child actors who don't connect to the material or can't, let's, you know, think about E.T. where everybody is so good at interacting with what is effectively a puppet and making its performance better by performing to it and performing with it. And here, like the kids know how to handle it. Dick Van Dyke obviously can can have a relationship with anything real or imaginary. Yeah. <laughs> But everyone relates to the like. There's just these casual moments where they sort of pat the car in passing. It's like they're they're really just accepting the reality of this film. And again, something this big and this messy, you you can miss that. And it's it's weirdly pure, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's it's got a good heart. Yeah, that's so cute. I, I feel the same way. It's 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 cute. It's the imagination of a child. You know what I mean? Like they grew up in that kind of atmosphere in the movie their dad is a scientist and their whole room is filled with trinkets and dreams and, and music and all this stuff. And it's uh, those two little actors, actually, I just realized the last time I watched it, it was their uh, first movie that they ever did. And I was watching them with that information in mind. And it blows me away when, when people who are, you know, I've had, I've had a lot of training and I, I get a little nervous doing movies. And then I see these kids who go in and it's their first time ever doing this kind of stuff. And knowing how how uh, how the days go and how technical it is, I'm just kind of more in awe that they're able to keep their imagination flowing. And, and who's to say, like, who's not to argue that maybe it's that imagination that really helped kind of go with this, with the filming of this movie to keep it going. The director, Ken Hughes, um, was not, known for family films like he made um he made dark thrillers and and a hammer picture called the house across the lake in the 50s uh the brain machine a science fiction movie called time slip it's uh he did an american gangster version of macbeth in 1955 shot at shepperton studios in surrey it's called joe macbeth and then somehow like he worked with anthony newley and and peter finch and then got dropped into this after making an adaptation of, of human bondage. Like it just, it, it's so strange. That's where the child catcher comes into play. <laughs> I think so. All that throws it into this guy and makes the scariest man alive. Um, that's interesting, right? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's interesting kind of pull into two ways, but I think it's, it's that whole kind of gross imagination. Like it can be pulled in either direction. Mm-hmm. In whether it's going to go a little more uh, cynical or dark, 
versus this thing, which is still kind of a dark comedy, if you think about it, a dark adventure. Like, there are a lot of dark nuances, even though it's brightly colored and it's fueled by love and all the nice things we've said about it. But at the end of the day, it's kind of just like any old fable where it's full of danger and excitement. Um, And it could scare you, you know what I mean? But it's it's how it all kind of wraps up together. And that's, I think the kind of the, the thing that pulls the audience is like, what is going to happen? What is this about? Like, as I said, like every scene and every moment is so drastically different. They've got themselves up to their knees in an adventure. Yeah. How is this going to resolve itself? How is it going to make sense? Because yeah, it yeah. just keeps throwing like, these things at us that, that really don't. And then eventually somehow it all resolves. It's, it's such a weird, warm experience. And again, it's this two and a half hour gargantua of yeah. a movie. Because all movies were that big. You know, like you had to, you had to, well, that's what's going on now with Marvel movies. I guess you have to justify the price of a roadshow ticket by giving people a lot. Yes. Yes. And and yeah. And this one had the old, I mean, I don't know what it was like in the theaters back then. The intermission is kind of like a play. Like you take your 15 minute break and then you come yeah. back. Act two has started. Um but they did that a lot. Like I remember even in one of my other favorites, Oliver, they had that break as well. Yep. Uh, almost everything back then had their little, you know, intro, outro musical numbers. And then the intermission, it was kind of driven by theatrics, you know, yeah. going to the theater, but in your home. I guess. And, I guess and so. Now the, um, well, nowadays we don't have intermissions anymore, but um if they were fairly, I mean, I remember them when I was a kid, they were pretty common because you got to sell twice as many. That was the deal, right? You you have a longer film, but the act break gives the audience the chance to go out and buy more snacks because concession, of course, is where the theaters make their money. And that made it more palatable to, it also made it more fancy. It did feel like a night at the theater. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if you're at a kid's movie with an intermission, there's some very, very big ambitions for that movie. People are expecting it to, you know, like qualify for the Oscars and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the other thing I found out is the only reason that um, they got Dick Van Dyke was because he passed on the, the role of Fagin in the Oliver movie that was being made that that uh, at the same time. Yeah. I don't think he would have made it work. It works out and makes sense. And everything kind of happens for a reason because Fagin in the Oliver uh, movie is just so well cast. I don't think Dick Van Dyke could have been as kind of miserly as he needed to be in that movie. Um, plus, you don't want to see them popping up everywhere. I mean, these are classic films, and 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 he's in a lot of them. And and I love Dick Van Dyke. He's still popping. I follow him on Instagram. He's still <laughs> dancing. He's still doing his thing. He's a bucket of joy, and he is fit and fabulous. And uh, his career is it speaks for itself. But there's those you've we've kind of even mentioned like my cluster of favorite movies and if they were all and the connections between them if they were all played by the same person i might have not had that kind of fondness to it you know what i mean yeah because it would have been uh, overkill overkill yeah but i think the chitty chitty bang bang casting with uh dick van dyke is just great because he is He's slapstick. He's a caricature to me. He's someone who's over the top, but also ground. It's weird because he's grounded at the same time. Like I can understand him, but I can also see him becoming something bigger than himself. Uh, And his skills are just out of this world. Like that, that bamboo song where they flip their legs in and out. What? 
I remember trying to do that as a kid, could not figure it out. I could not. Like, it's just insane watching these people do their thing. Yeah, he was, he had, he had the thing that Gene Kelly did where you could just project joy and dance at the same time. Like you can, (laughs) he lets you take pleasure in what he's doing as much as he is. Like he invites you into his own happiness and and his exhilaration. And that's why I think he shouldn't, like Fagin would have been a terrible role for him. I don't think he could do the cruelty. I I wouldn't want to see it more to the point. Like, I don't know that I could handle Dick Van Dyke being mean to children. No, no, no. I I don't know the the actor's name who played Fagin in in, uh, Oliver, but I I can tell you right now, I've watched that movie one million times. And each time I am like, there's just, there's no one else who could ever be play that role. He needs to be miserly. He needs to be a little bit scary, but also have those soft moments, you know, to draw you in. It's, um, oh, I love Oliver too. That was, that's another movie. But see, all these, all these old musicals are what, what got me. This is what my dad popped me in front of as a kid. So this is all the stuff I'm like super familiar with. Yeah, you're raised on. You never had a chance. I'm raised on. Yeah, I'm raised on this stuff. Like this is all the the, and this is the stuff we still watch today. Like, if any of these musicals are playing at like Mervish, my dad is he's 76 now. Like, I I he lives in Peterborough, so I invite him down. We go and we kind of relive watching it like we did when we were when I was super little. So it's kind of like it's kind of awesome like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, To have that thing that you can still keep doing right yeah there must have been a stage version of chitty chitty bang 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 now you know i haven't heard one and i haven't seen one like ever advertised here um definitely oliver obviously and uh like I, we just recently saw singing in the rain and an american in paris right was also here and that was so the dancing uh, that stuff is so awesome as well like being able to do the acting, the singing, and the dancing, the triple threat. Like, I I can't do that. So, <laughs> as an actor, I'm I admire those skills for sure. Yeah, hardly anyone can. I, I you'll hurt yourself trying. That's all I know. Or at least <laughs> I will, because I am old. Um, yeah, there was a stage show in 2002 in the West End. No way. Yeah, Michael Ball and Emma Williams played the leads. Uh, there was a Broadway production at the Lyric in 2005. With Raul Esparza. Okay, that would have been good. Aaron Dilly played Truly Scrumptious. Philip Bosco as Grandpa. Oh, wow. Yeah, I would have watched that. I would love to see a theatrical version of this to see what they do with that car and how they change the sets. I mean, I'm assuming they would keep it more or less as it is. But yeah, Act 1 ends with Chitty Takes Flight. Act 2 starts with uh, Vulgaria. That makes sense, I guess. You can totally redesign the thing. Again, this is the closest I'm going to get to a remake that I can accept. Oh, wow. That's so strange. The idea that everything, like, why hasn't it come to Canada? I don't think it ever did. Not long ago either. No. Uh, most recent production was in West Yorkshire in and Ireland in 2015 to 2017. No way. So I got to go to the UK to watch this is what I'm saying. Or start banging the drum and have it happen here. Yeah, that'd be so cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. Well, that does sort of bring us to the closing question of the podcast, which is always the same, which is, is there anything of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang that you've used or borrowed or outright stolen for your own work? I mean, I didn't see a lot in women talking, but there could have been something. Yeah, I think the most, the the, the biggest thing I got from 
from all those types of movies, but this movie in particular is just like my zone, my niche as an actor is um uh, is that kind of big production, like being able to be um slapstick, more of a caricature, more of a character actor, those big moments, those big things, um expressions. I would say that expressions and especially as through my comedy career has pretty much helped me through my ride and even getting my, my foot in the door doing theater as a little kid. These are all things that I mimic to try to get myself to be seen on stage. Mm -hmm. When I was playing like tree number two, for example, it was just being able to have these big moments where exactly what you were kind of saying before, like sharing the joy. People are enjoying watching you because you absolutely love to be there and they can see that through your performance. I feel like that through line is something that I bring with me anywhere that I go. And it's true. I love, I just love it. I get so jazzed to just do this stuff and like walk around on set and like off camera, even though women talking was, you know, a, a, a dramatic piece. As soon as we were, you know, off camera and, and back to being ourselves, I was back to being myself, which is kind of like this kind of energetic. And I love talking to people and I'm like so excited. I'm saying awesome to everything because I think everything is awesome. And like I'm watching people do their thing, asking them questions. And all of a sudden we're back to acting and, and that kind of closes for a second. But there's just this through line of joy, which I think is what inspired me to be an actor and what I still find the like as my joy being an actor today, which is we're doing something so fun and we're making a story and we're getting inside, pe inside people's heads and we're creating that emotional connection that I felt when I was first inspired. And to me, that's like, that's what keeps us going. So if I could ever have that kind of legacy that like these movies had, or not me personally, but the, the, the work that we, we do, that is like a, a, an ultimate achieve, achievement for me. And you could play the child catcher. And I'll play the child. Yes, I would love to play the child catcher. I would, uh, <laughs> I would really love that. <laughs> That'd be dope. I'm kind of inspired now. Like, <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> I hope whoever listens to this podcast, please uh, uh, produce uh, Chi Chi Bang Bang so that. I can play the child catcher. No, put it into the universe. Let's do it. <laughs> My thanks to Michelle McLeod, who can be seen in Sarah Polly's Women Talking in theaters, on demand, and now on Blu-ray and DVD. Thanks also to Morgan Moss. She knows what she did. You can find Michelle on Twitter at underscore Michelle McLeod, and you can find Chitty Chitty Bang Bang on Blu-ray and DVD from MGM Home Entertainment. It's also streaming on MGM's Prime Video channel in Canada, on HBO Max and DirecTV in the U.S., and available to rent or buy on various VOD platforms. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash Semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year, if you like it, or the show in general, say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your booster when you can. Go get them, Sarah. <laughs>